Osiris. Nugs.net is the destination for live music on demand. They have a growing collection of over 15,000 full-length concert recordings from bands like Wilco, Umphreys McGee, and J-Rad, and so many more, so that you'll never run out of live music to explore. You can listen to a show from last night or one from 40 years ago. I've been using the Nugs app for little over two years, and they recently added a bunch of Wilco shows. So I've been diving deep into, back in 2017, Wilco does their Solid Sound Festival of Massachusetts. So in the most recent one, they played their album Being There front to back. And for the encore of that show, they decided to play Yankee Hotel Foxtrot front to back. That would have been very cool to see. So I was obviously <laughs> not there, but I listened to the whole thing on Nugs, and it was quite awesome. Yeah, last summer I got super into uh, Umphreys McGee and Nugs.net was such a great guide for me. It's such a easy to use, user-friendly app, great soundboard quality shows. I was able to just kind of jump back and forth, make a bunch of playlists on the fly as I heard jams that really piqued my interest. I uh, was able to chat with people on Twitter about shows I was into, get recommendations and right there. Click on the app, click on the show, click on the year, click on the show. I was good to go. It's a really fantastic user-friendly app that uh, just brings live music to your fingertips in a way that 10 years ago would have uh, blown all of our collective minds. It's available on desktop, iOS and Android apps, Sonos, and Blue OS. Just like us, the folks at Nugs.net are live music fanatics, so they're offering new subscribers a 35% discount on an annual subscription. So go to Nugs.net backslash beyond the pond and sign up today. If you already have a subscription, give the gift of live music to a friend. Again, it's Nugs.net backslash beyond the pond for a 35% off an annual subscription. David Goldstein. I am Brian Brinkman. You are tuned into episode number 68 of the Beyond the Pond podcast. This is the podcast in which Brian and myself utilize the music of Fish as a springboard for introducing the listener to other bands. Because as you know by now, we love Fish. We are Fish fans. Sometimes the problem with Fish fans is they get a bit myopic. 
they neglect to realize that there's other bands out there. This really tends to happen quite often when Fish is on summer tour like they are now. And that's great. We love summer tour. We're going to talk about it. But you got to listen to something else, too. Absolutely. And we are really excited to be sitting here on Monday coming off of the first week of summer tour. We are excited about what Fish is doing. We're going to get into all of that. But we're also excited to share with you guys some new music and some uh, some stuff that we both have been listening to. Um, and as we were planning out our uh, summer 2019 episodes, we kind of came up with an idea. We don't want to go show by show. We know that everyone's talking about that a lot on Twitter and with their friends in the lot and on the way to the shows and before the shows begin and yada, yada, yada. We wanted to try something a little bit new here. So what we're going to do is we've got about, I think, six or eight categories that we're going to go through and we're going to give awards out to various aspects of the first week of summer tour. We're going to do this throughout the entire uh, summer tour that the band is playing here. In addition to that, um, we're going to share with you guys some of the music that we've been listening to uh, that is either new music for us or music that's really caught our attention of late that uh, we think you guys are going to be really like. So just kind of a slight little tweak on what our typical episodes are, but still in the great spirit of sharing new music with you guys and chatting deep dives about fish. Absolutely. Everyone loves superlatives. It's fun. And some of the themes that we're going to explore in this episode include the new direction with jamming, fish and your team winning the title, and festival fish. Of course, that is Festival with a PH. And on that note, let's get to the fish. All right. So, like we said at the top here, we're trying something a little bit different here. Uh, Dave and I are both huge fans of kind of all things, well, most things, The Ringer, most things, Bill Simmons. And one of the podcasts that we love from that network is called uh, The Rewatchables. And what that sh- what that uh, podcast does is it takes movies that everybody could watch at any point in time, breaks them down into a number of categories that are super fun and relate back to the overall movie in general from a thematic standpoint. So we figured this would be fun to approach for tour. So this is our recapabling the last week of tour. We're going to do this as the tour goes on. So we've got a couple of categories, a couple of awards we want to give out. The first one, you guys may notice Dave and I are also huge sports fans and we tend to break shows down on a quarterly basis. And there's really nothing to set the tone for a tour or for a show than an opening quarter. So over the last four shows, being St. Louis through Bonnaroo, Dave, what would you say was the best opening quarter of the past week? That would be the first night in St. Louis, June 11th. Cool Amber and Mercury, 46 Days, Stash, and Nellie Kane. And really, this is just a phenomenal way to kick off a show and the tour. Somewhat uh, unexpected song selection. You get a new tune, which everyone loves. You get 46 Days being the rocker that uh, honors the recently deceased Rhodey Lee Fordham. You get a bluegrass song and an extended, quite blissed out take on a a foundational composition and stash that really always seems to pop up in this uh, slot. 
but seldom ever with this kind of experimentation. Yeah, by our count, this stash, which was the first real exciting point of the entire tour, though I loved that Cool Amber and Mercury opened up the tour, uh, this stash joined 71413 from Meriwether and 73009 from Red Rocks as best versions of all the 3.0. Perhaps this was the best version since December 31st, 2003 in Miami. A beautiful 24-minute, just ambient perfection jam. Even though you should all give Coventry's 20-minute version a spin. It's a fantastic version as well. And this version of Stash was far better than a first set 3.0 version had any right to be. Remember when I first heard the Stash start up, I might have snarkily tweeted from the Beyond the Pond account, Oh, First set stash. Okay, maybe I should <laughs> go use the bathroom about an hour or something. But I was very happy to be wrong. Fantastic, very melodic version. Fantastic way to kick things off. And also, although this could be getting us into the second quarter, the tube is a phenomenal, nicely language jam. So don't sleep on that either. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's a really good point with regards to the tube and, and talking about the second quarter. Because this is, when we talk about the quarters, like, there's... A real big impact whenever the band sets a tone well like really strongly coming out of a of a show and sometimes first quarters tend to be a couple standard songs here want to get their feet wet and you usually see that in the tour opener but it was as if the band knew exactly what they wanted to play coming out and as we're going to get to they sound really strong they sound really tight and you just kind of heard them immediately uh uh, kind of explore this new terrain in Stash that we're going to hear pop up in some of the other strong moments of the overall uh, uh, short tour here, that or young tour, if I, if you will. Um, so let's jump into our next segment here. Uh, this was a Dave Goldstein uh, uh, Award, the Kool-Aid Man Award. Can you describe really quickly what the Kool-Aid Man Award is for our listeners? The Kool-Aid Man Award is called sucks because it's a jam that makes you want to run through a wall. <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely. We had a couple of choices for this one. We actually debated up until basically right until we're, um, recording time. Um, Dave, what do we have here for the Kool-Aid Man Award for week one of the tour? The jam that makes you want to run through a wall. We got June 16th. Second set of Bonnaroo, Twist into Weekapog, into No Man and No Man's Land, back into Weekapog, back into Twist. Extremely classic mix of gorgeous, blissed out. At times, the band spiritualizes jamming, the goofy and fun segments of Segway jamming that immediately makes us want to run through a wall for this tour. It has some really phenomenal Trey and Fishman interplay. Waste no time getting right into C major bliss mode. And I think it was also notable because there's a point where Trey utilized uh, the David Gilmore run like hell delay pedal effect that he really seen the hooked on in Mexico, especially in the Mexico set your soul free. Yeah. And based upon these few shows, he's still hooked on it. And that's okay though, because it's cool. Yeah, and this twist really reminded me of um, kind of the highs of some of my favorite jams from last year and early 2019 as well. Uh, the Bill Graham "Set Your Soul Free," the Hampton Golden Age, the Allstate "No Man in No Man's Land," uh, the Vegas, Vegas uh, "Split Up and It Melt," 
MSGs, Everything's Right, Light, Seven Below, as well as that Mexico, No Man in No Man's Land, which similarly was just a 12 minute long song, but really uh, showcased some some fantastic atmosphere and jamming. Um, and, and, and then you follow that with this kind of classic 94 fish zaniness. And you've got a really unique segment of music that just showed a band that's able to be really kind of dexterous right now as they're as they're moving for moving through the early parts of the tour yeah it was kind of also cool because because it was bonnaroo this is fish fucking with the general population yeah <laughs> i mean the whole show in general i mean we might talk a little bit more about it as we go on but i was actually relatively impressed with this uh the june 16th two set bonnaroo show i mean it was tight the tempos were good. There was some mischievousness going on at one point. Trey was like he wanted to climb a barricade practically to play a guitar solo. It kind of felt like there was a slightest twinge of like, you silly kids with your jewel pods. Let's show you what Bonnaroo used to be like. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, the Friday night set kind of went expected uh, what I what I yeah. thought a festival set would. This felt like a fish show. Uh, I thought it was a legitimate very good show and I think the fact that it um, you know complemented the band really kind of expanding and making a statement about themselves here in at Bonnaroo was a really cool experience for all fans and lots of people involved Um, and I also want to note because we were on a certain side of this argument back during Madison Square Garden's run uh, yes they did play No Man in No Man's Land oh yeah yeah yeah, they certainly played. It wasn't the <laughs> wasn't a particularly long version, but it had the verses, it had the chorus, it had the, the riffs, and you know the riff can be segued in and out of Weekapod Groove relatively kind easily. of at will. Yeah, kind yeah. of as they did on um, December thirtieth, twenty eighteen. Kind of like yes. a similar, similar. Totally. So let's jump into our next segment here. This is uh, where we get a little bit cheeky. The seemed like a good idea at the time. What this essentially is, is a moment that you're following along on Twitter, or you're listening to the show, and you're kind of like, okay, I see what the band's trying to do here. And then it just doesn't work. And you listen back and you're like, yeah, I don't know what in the world they were thinking here. What do we have for seemed like a good idea at the time in week one of the tour? First night... June 11th, the song selection in set two. In particular, the fourth quarter, in that this was your kind of classic 3.0 fourth quarter rush job. You had joy, simple, limb by limb. I mean, just utterly rudimentary versions of songs that they felt like they were shoehorning in for no real reason other than that they felt obligated to play a bunch of like six minute songs back to back when in fact they would have been better served by just letting the third quarter breathe a bit yeah I mean the crazy thing is there are great songs played in a tour opener second set I mean who among us does not want to hear No Man in No Man's Land Gin, Ghost, Piper Blaze On simple and slave all in the same set i mean just listing that one two three four five six seven songs it's a fantastic seven song set you have a little bit of jamming in there some good flow 
The issue is that it seemed like they tried to play all these songs rather than effortlessly finding them as we would hear on Sunday night at Bonnaroo. Uh, perhaps this is a first night of the tour thing, but in reality, had they allowed a little bit more expansiveness and jamming within some great moments, particularly I really liked the No Man in No Man's Land. I loved where Ghost was going. I liked where Piper and Blazon were going. Like Blazon has been really interesting this tour so far. They've never really expanded on it yet in the tour, but both versions have contained some really fantastic jamming within a structure. It could have been a really cool statement, a la June 7th, 2012's tour opener. Instead, it's just a collection of great songs. This set reminded me a lot of the Saturday night set from Chicago in 2018, which was anchored by this big, gorgeous 20-minute-plus No Man in No Man's Land, and then just a bunch of short little songs for the next 35 minutes that make you sad. This wasn't a good idea. <laughs> Absolutely. Cruise control. Cruise control. I mean, it's the first night of tour. We were, were able to give it to them for yeah. that, but... Um, we uh, we won't we won't harp on this too much. This this seemed like a good idea at the time. Maybe when they were crafting the set list, maybe when Trey was calling out songs. But in hindsight, there's not a lot of re-listenability there. Um, all of this leads us to what I think is probably going to be our favorite segment to discuss as the tour evolves, because it's going to allow us to talk about one of our other favorite things, which is baseball. Mm. This section, if this tour were a baseball season. Would we be in playoff contention? So where we're at right now, are we battling for the title of the division? Are we separating ourselves from the pack? Do we see ourselves as World Series contenders in 2019? Dave, where are we a week into the 2019 summer tour? Right now, we're about currently two games out of wildcard contention. Lots to love about this tour so far. There's also some conservative approaches in playing and song selection. Definitely in the hunt. Use a little bit more offensive power. Maybe a a, uh, reliable number five starting pitcher. And some more jamming to go the distance before we can really talk to playoffs. But the fact is, most teams would kill to be two games out of wildcard contention at this point in June. We're going to be buyers at the trade deadline, not sellers. So here's the thing to remember. In baseball, you can be two, five games out of wildcard contention at the end of the playoffs and still win 83, 84 games, still have a great season. We're not saying that we're having a poor tour right now. We're just not running away with things. Um, This run, as we should say here, this first week was bound to be a little bit odd with Bonnaroo coming the first weekend. Honestly, it probably won't fully feel like Fish Tour until Saturday night in Merriweather when they've had a few more traditional shows under their belt and are settling in at one of their favorite venues in the country. I hope I'm wrong, by the way, when it comes into mind, Toronto, Blossom, Charlotte, okay? Um, That said, the first four shows of the tour have been more or less good. Even if you took out all of 1.0 from their entire history, This tour hasn't exactly hit the early tour highs of their best opening weeks in 3.0. I'm talking early summer 2011, early fall 2013, summer 2015, summer 2017, and fall 2018. All really strong first weeks of tour. Most importantly, though, it appears that the band has set the table for a big tour. Trey sounds great. Uh, The stash 
type of jamming, that twist, all of that is a really great sign. The jams scattered throughout St. Louis set two, the energy during Bonnaroo set one or Bonnaroo night one, as well as that really fantastic overall show on night two at Bonnaroo. It's all a fantastic sign. I think we're just going to know a little bit more in a week. One thing, though, compared to the tour openers in Summer 16, uh, not Summer 16, I'm sorry, compared to the tour openers last summer in Lake Tahoe, so much better. I mean, yes. None of these shows had the early 2018 hesitancy, none of Trey endlessly screwing with his rig, all the over like reliance on his Leslie sound. Uh, the level of effort that sounded vaguely soundcheck-like. I mean, the two St. Louis shows were heads and tails above Tahoe, and I think both of the Bonnaroo shows as well. Trey's, yeah, Trey's tone is light years ahead of where it was in the, the beginning of summer 2018. Yeah, were it not for night three at the Gorge in summer 2018, that first week of tour looks pretty, pretty dismal. Um, we haven't even had a show that touches what that was like, and I think we're already in a better place than that. And we should yes. note, uh, we've said it a couple of times here, but that last night at Bonnaroo was a really great all-around show. We think the jam of the tour so far happened there in the twist. I really think that there was some fun interplay by the band. Uh, and I would note this was, I, I think, the best non-fish festival festival show since July 31st, 1999. You really thought it was better than Lockin'? I think so. I think that's second set, uh, and I think that they just sound tighter than they did in 2016. Okay. No, that's certainly that's an argument that can be made. I think the lock-in... I don't think you lose with either show, right. you know? I think lock-in at that point, expectations were so low. True. That lock-in ended up actually being a very solid show. People said, okay, you know, that's good for a festival. But then again, lock-in was also kind of the kids at that show knew what they were getting into because that's a big big old jam band fest which is right what Bonnaroo used to be back in 2002 2003 but now you're just as likely to see i guess cardi b as fish so right <laughs> well unlocking also if you look at it it kicked off basically 12 months of fantastic fish you right. know fish had been they had that really weird june july run from walking you go to dicks high quality dicks run high quality fall Great MSG run, really strong in hindsight. Mexico run, Baker's Dozen, New Year's Eve 2017. I mean, that's 15 months of really excellent fish. So all this said, it's time to be honest. How many of these shows will you actually listen to again, Dave? Certainly none in full. I think until further notice, I will definitely have the second set of June 12th and June 16th both second sets in the rotation. Yeah. I will say that um, the first set of June 12, I will never listen to ever again. Yes. But yeah, I will listen to the now semi-famous, semi-famous Stanley Cup set again. <laughs> and I actually listened to June 16th, the second set. I probably got through it about two or three times today alone. 
Nice. Uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of sets without like really clear flow or song selections that thematically really worked. Lots of great moments dotted throughout, but few that kind of coalesce to something greater than the sum of its parts, uh, aside from the above segments that we talked about. And again, I return to that Gorge Night 3 from last year, one of my favorite shows from the year, one of my favorite shows from 3.0 overall. Just thematically, it works really well. Um, and I love putting that show on just start to finish this definitely this these first four shows don't have that kind of connectivity that thematic flow to it but uh certainly some great segments of music and i would agree with what you said there but the big award that will be given out at the end of each week of fish summer 2019 tour the this is why we do this award why do we keep coming back here on a week-to-week, bi-weekly, whatever it is basis, to talk about this crazy band, to talk music, to shoot the shit about baseball and our baseball teams that frustrate the hell out of us. Why is this something that we care so much about? Dave, take it away. Second set of June 12th. Specifically, Laura Brannigan's Gloria into the Stanley Cup-themed Loving Cup into Twist... About to run Mr. Completely into light. That is just a fantastically creative, interesting portion of music that I think reminded a lot, both of us, a lot of um, Baker's Dozen Night 5, The Powdered Night. And as much for the fact that that had the last version of Mr. Completely that the band had played, but kind of one of those sets that kind of seems to play itself. The music's playing the band. Yeah, I was following this from afar, afar. I was on a work trip in Las Vegas and occupied for the evening at the Brooklyn Bowl. And uh, I just kept seeing Dave's tweets come across and more and more caps and more and more uh, exclamation points. Um, I, I was thinking, you know, in terms of early tour great sets that have happened in um uh, 3.0 as as well as early tour great jams kind of in the first night or the first run of a tour. I would put this on par with July 31st 09 set 2 uh, the August 6th and August 7th 2010 cities simple and light. It's really great jamming that kind of paved the way for that tour uh, the waves from May 27th 2011 as well as the next night the whole show May 28th the uh, August 5th, 2011 rock and roll and a meat stick and a boogie on uh, the aforementioned June 7th, 2012 Carini and a taste and a ghost and a boogie on later that summer, August 15th, 2012 rock and roll and a ghost uh, the Carini from October 18th, 2013 the hood from July 1st, 2014. And then finally the tube, everything's right. And 20 years later on October 16th, 2018 as kind of the best opening run moments in 3.0. Just, you need something like this to happen within the first two or three shows of tour to really signify that, okay, the band has something planned for us. We're, we're moving in the right direction. I mean, if you're a St. Louis blues fan at the fish show, you'll have a story to tell for the rest of your life. Right. I mean, for the, um, by now, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably know what happened that the Laura Brannigan extremely 80s dance gym Gloria, for some reason, was the St. Louis Blues victory song, which uh, on their historic quest to the Stanley Cup finals, every time they won a game, they would play Gloria. 
So this game, um, this concert was going on, and it's the same night of Game 7 as the St. Louis Blues en route to uh, shellacking the Boston Bruins, and Fish took note of this fact. You can, I think when the Blues got the third goal of the evening to go with 3-0 on the Bruins, you can kind of hear the crowd, you can certainly hear on the tape, people uh, were cheering. So if you're a Blues fan, and then you're at the Fish show, your favorite band comes out and they play the Blues victory song, and then they play Loving Cup because of the Stanley Cup, I mean, that's pretty incredible. I mean, I guess... It's debatable as to whether you'd be at the show in the first place if you're a diehard St. Louis Blues fan. But, I mean, obviously, when you bought the fish ticket, you kind of had no way of knowing that your team would be playing Game 7 of a Stanley Cup final. Fish doesn't play St. Louis near the regularity of um, Madison Square Garden or Mayweather Post or SPAC or whatever. So, you know, in other words, we believe there actually might have been some true hockey fans at that gig. They kind of banked on Fish putting on a hell of a show while their team won the Stanley Cup. And certainly, Trey did them up nice. Really, really fun uh, second night of tour. So why don't we play one of our favorite jams, if not our favorite jam from the overall first week of tour. What do we got here, Dave? We're going to play a three to five minute segment of the Bonnaroo twist. Twisteroo, if you would.
As a reminder, Nugs.net is the destination for live music on demand. They have a growing collection of over 15,000 full-length concert recordings from bands like Pearl Jam, Sonic Youth, and even Strange Folk, so you'll never run out of live music to explore. You can listen to a show from last night or from 40 years ago. It's available on desktop, iOS, and Android apps, Sonos, and Blue OS. Just like us, the folks at Nugs.net are live music fanatics. They're offering new subscribers a 35% discount on an annual subscription. So go to Nugs.net backslash beyond the pond and sign up today. If you already have a subscription, give the gift of live music to a friend. Again, Nugs.net backslash beyond the pond for 35% off an annual subscription. So, like we said at the top, things are going to be a little bit different here as we move through the summer tour, trying to give you guys some good quality discussion about fish, some great new music in a little bit more of a compact way. Any followers of the podcast know that our summer and fall episodes from 2018 got a little unwieldy. We want to make sure that you guys have time to revisit all the music as well as our fantastic discussion. So we're going to jump right in here. We're going to do new album recommendations, and then we got a segment of music that we're going to talk with you guys through. These are new albums that have come out within the last couple of weeks, last couple of months that uh, we're both spinning like crazy. And um, I think for the second time this year, we've got uh, new albums that really align thematically with each other in some ways. Uh, my first one is Joshua Abrams and Natural Information Society, Mandatory Reality. That came out, I think, in mid-April, and it's something I just cannot stop listening to. The track that I'm going to play is a small sample of the 39-minute Finite. So Joshua Abrams is a Chicago bassist uh, and a Guimbri player. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. I could be wrong. Um, And he is cultivated here with the Natural Information Society, a minimalistic masterpiece. There's zero overdubs, slow and prodding jamming uh, are featured around a very simple theme. It is hypnotic and droning in just this perfect, perfect way. The goal of the music, according to Abrams, is to keep driving on the road without knowing the final destination, nor caring. If there are any new records that we featured that I could compare this to, it would be the next Unfold, as well as Nate Woolley's Columbia Icefield. Two records I've featured over the last two years here. Um, I want to quote the overall uh, Pitchfork review um, that was written here uh, a couple of months ago with regards to the record and say that what you can expect from this is Abram swapping uh, his acoustic bass for the three-stringed Gwimbi, a lute from Northern Africa, whose resonant low-end and buzzing resonance are conducive to trance states. Um, With every successive release comes the suggestion that these songs can go longer and push deeper. And with mandatory reality, Abrams and his cohorts strain against the confines of recorded music. The overall record is 81 minutes in length, and it's all put down in real time. No overdubs, like I said. And this really pushes the ensemble and the listener into a very immersive and sublime space. Think Philip Glass, think Steve Reich, 
all minimalist New York composers. However, here, you're slowing everything down. Um, you're almost walking with the band, as is quoted in Pitchfork. And like is noted here, Finite, the song that I'm going to play, it's a 40-minute musical masterpiece. It is just gorgeous, just beautiful stuff. And we're going to play a small section of it right now. myself to get into that National Information Society record. It's on the list, for sure. So the album I'm going to talk about is actually the second album from a band that we featured a little bit ways back when we interviewed um, our good buddies Mike and Dom from Beyond Beyond is Beyond. This is the second album from the band Leclerc called Soropada. And we're going to play a song, a portion of a song, because I think the song itself is 12 minutes, called Endless Dave. So, like I was saying, um, they are on Beyond, Beyond is Beyond, and when we did the interview with that label head, uh, the label heads a few months ago, we talked about their first album called Polymood. Now, this is the follow-up. The best way to describe Leclerc is, if you've ever wondered what it would sound like, 
if can devoted a full album to playing funk fusion instrumentals from the CTI label in approximately 1972-1972. Maybe kind of what would sound like if uh, the Steely Dan session guys took mushrooms. And what's interesting is that there aren't isn't that much ink on the interwebs about this band, aside from the fact that they're Swedish and they take languid grooves very, very seriously. They also enjoy using my name in song titles because in addition to Endless Dave, they have a song called Caster McDavid. And they would appear to be funny guys. Uh, band member Elaine Sandry is credited with, quote, mellow, with mellow lifestyle and congas. Yavor Livov is credited with Bronto Kick. And Sebastian Bowie is credited with International Keys. And they also, in the liner notes, thank the Mescarim restaurant, which, assuming is the same one that we're talking about, is a really good Ethiopian joint in the heart of uh, the NYU neighborhood on McDougal Street. Good stuff there. But if you like very long, head-nodding, repetitious, hypnotic grooves that make very good use of Wakatar, Congos, and synthesizers, really adhering to like an early 1970s boudoir jam template, I would definitely recommend you check out Soropada from Leclerc, which if you get the vinyl, it's got this awesome gold and red motif that you can spin it, you can stare at your spinning vinyl and hear the grooves and have yourself quite a good time. So let's listen to a portion of Endless Dave. So as we said, these episodes here during Summer Tour are going to be a little consolidated, but we still want to give you guys some new music. And we were thinking we'd open the vaults here. What are we listening to right now? This is not typically new music. This is not particularly something thematically related to the jam. It may not have anything to do with either of those things. Just a record that both of us are listening to kind of in our regular rotation when we're not listening to Fish. And as we're still trying to get the whole spectrum of music that we love. So the record that I have is the self-titled album from 1971 by Link Ray. Titled, of course, Link Ray. Uh, 
The song that we're going to play is Take Me Home, Jesus. And before I get started, I want to give a shout out to my good friend, traveling uh, uh, companion, Dallas Way, wherever you are in a mountainside in Northern California right now, or Central Oregon. I don't know where you are right now making wine, but uh, he passed me along this record about two years ago and it has never left my rotation. So Link Ray was an American rock and roll guitarist, a songwriter, and a vocalist who became popular in the late 50s as a surf rock guitarist. Um, this album from 1971 is a blend of Americana blues, country, gospel, and folk rock elements. Think immediately of uh, the music that you heard throughout the basement tapes from Bob Dylan and the band. It's characterized by the purposeful use of simplified sounds to reflect current vogue of blues and other roots music being used by many bands. Ray's guitar work, composing, and vocals reflected modern rock influences. Despite publicity from radio stations and print media, the album did not do well nationally. Uh, some tracks from this record later surfaced on Guitar Preacher, The Polydor Years, but on the whole, this record was lost to time. The album was recorded in 1971 by Link's brother, Vernon Ray, Ray Vernon Ray at Ray's Shack Three Tracks. Say that all mm, ten times fast. Whew, a three-track studio that Link Ray had converted from an old chicken shack on his farm in Maryland and mixed by Chuck Irwin. During some of the louder songs, the recording team places speakers for Link Ray's guitar outside of the yard and mic'd the windows. And for a time, no drum kit was available, so on several tracks, the musicians stomped on the floor for the bass drum and shook a can of nails for the snare drum. True basement tapes, if you will. The songwriter, co-producer, drummer, Steve Varaka said, what we do is go into the shack and make music. We get the melody that way, and then we maybe write down some lyrics. Eh, it's a little unusual, but this is what comes naturally. Now, because of the change in style from his earlier work, like I noted above, the album was poorly received by Link Ray's fan base. Ray had anticipated this, and shortly before the album's release remarked, in a way, I couldn't care less if the album doesn't sell a single copy. We're happy with it, and we've done it our way. It's a fantastic approach, kind of record that we both love a lot here. So we're going to go ahead and listen to Take Me Home, Jesus, from Link Ray's 1971 self-titled record. I was born where the mountains high
Thank you for doing that, Brian, with regards to Link Ray. I just want to bring the beyond the palm populace, want to alert them to a fact that what's been taking up a good amount of time in my ear holes lately is King Crimson. Notably, that King Crimson were one of the big streaming holdouts for the longest time. None of their albums were available on Apple Music, Tidal, Spotify, just none of it. Plus, I mean, not even could you find their things on YouTube because King Crimson leader Robert Fripp was notoriously anal about uh, protecting his music at all costs. Well, finally, in advance of what's going to be King Crimson's 50th anniversary tour this fall coming down the pike, I think I'm actually right now going to see them at Radio City Music Hall in September. So on the heels of the 50th anniversary tour, they have finally relented and made all of their albums, including live albums and studio albums, available for streaming services. So I have been biding my time on Spotify, really catching up on the more classic ones, like in the Court of the, Crims- uh, the, Court of the Crimson King, Larks, Tongues, and Aspic. And then, of course, from 1981, there is the Discipline album, which if you go back and listen to our, our, our interview with Tom Marshall, you know that this was a record that was a huge influence on both him and one Ernest J. Anastasio III, in particular because it was, in a sense, a bit of a supergroup containing uh, lots of musicians from lots of different projects that they love, including uh, Bill Bruford on drums, Adrian Ballou on guitar and vocals, Tony Levin playing uh, the bass and the Chapman stick, the really, really bouncy bass-like instrument. And, of course, the one constant, every version of King Crimson being uh, the leader and guitarist, the very, very British man, Robert Fripp. So let us listen to uh, one song off of, uh, off of Discipline, which on the whole, kind of because it came out in 1981, has a bit of a new wave vibe. Sounds a lot like an off-kilter talking heads to the point where it's actually rumored that at one point um, Tina Weymouth and Jerry Harrison asked Adrian Ballou to replace David Byrne in the talking heads, which of course did not happen. But uh, you listen to the album and think that, wow, Les Claypool has kind of spent his entire career ripping off this record. So let's listen to one of the songs, Thela Hunjinjit, which I believe is... um, I think it's an acronym for the Heat of the Jungle, which is a gonzo funk tune, which also kind of features Adrian Blue getting mugged, which you'll have to hear to understand what I'm talking about. And also, as a bonus track, there is Robert Fripp talking about this song and talking about Adrian Blue getting mugged. So, listen to King Crimson, listen to Discipline, let's listen to some of they were hunting jeans.
couldn't even see his face. I couldn't see his face. He was holding a gun again. Um, I was thinking, this is a dangerous place. Well, this is a dangerous place. guys thank you so much for hanging with us here as we broke down week one of fish's summer 2019 tour we got four more of these coming so get ready and we can uh we are expecting the tour to only get better as of publishing i think that toronto and blossom have already happened so we hope that we are uh we hope that whatever we've said here has been proven completely irrelevant, really. Um, but uh, we went through some awards here. We're going to do it again for the next five shows of tour. We featured a few songs. We want to list those out here for you guys. Uh, Joshua Abrams, the Natural Information Society's Finite off of Mandatory Reality. Leclerc's Endless Dave off of Sarapata. Uh, in our second segment, where we just talked about what we're listening to right now, I played Take Me Home Jesus off of Link Ray's Link Ray. And Dave played Thela Hun Gingit. Thela Hun Gingit. Off of Discipline by King Crimson. So, as you know, we're on social media. You can find us on Twitter at underscore beyond the pond. And by now you'll notice we have a tendency to uh, kind of do a play-by-play, live tweet some of the shows as they're going on. If uh, one of us or both of us happens to be awake, it's kind of fun. You can play the game. Guess who sent the tweet? Was it Brian or Dave? There's uh, (laughs) definitely certain clues that come about. Our simple cast page. One word, beyond the beyondthepond.simplecast.fm. And as we've been trying to do for a while, you can find all the songs we feature in this show throughout the years on Spotify. We had the playlist, the Beyond the Pond podcast song playlist. It's getting kind of unwieldy at this point. Check out the other excellent Osiris podcasts, part of our family. It's at osirispod.com. Leave us an iTunes review. We read them. We get a kick out of reading them. And anything that increases our visibility in Apple land is good. Absolutely. And from a publishing standpoint, so we are trying to get every episode out on Thursdays during summer tour. Um, Fair warning, our next episode may be slightly delayed as I will be coming back from the Telluride Bluegrass Festival. So we won't be recording this until I think Tuesday which means we may be delayed by a day, but you're going to get episodes here as soon as we're able to complete them. The editing like a madman through this whole uh, summer tour, but it's a labor of love for all of you uh, on a weekly basis. Be anticipating uh, new beyond the pond episodes. Absolutely. We are very happy to bring you new beyond the pond episodes throughout the summer. It's something that we'd love to do. It's actually been quite a while since we've recorded our last episode, so we're kind of just getting um, our sea legs back, so to speak. But if you made it this far, we thank you very, very much. So come back, 
in a little bit. We're going to discuss the Toronto Blossom, Charlotte, and Mayweather Post Pavilion runs. And we will hold hands, we will combat fish myopia, and together we will go beyond the pond. Osiris. 